On this episode of the Tough Juice Podcast, I had none other than Jamal Crawford, former teammate of mine. And look, a guy that pretty much won the sixth man of the year multiple times should get the award renamed after him. And, you know, in my eyes, you know, that's, you know, he's just been great all the way around. When you talk about a community leader, you know, someone who was a student, eventually became a teacher and mentoring so many others out in that Seattle area, but also just in life. You know, he's one of the guys that I say who is a real one. And we also talked about, you know, participating in the bubble. If he got that phone call, what are some of the things that he's doing right now to stay ready for that opportunity? Vince Carter got, you know, retired, pivoted away from the game of basketball. And how would he want his, you know, happy ever after to end, you know, with the NBA? And we also talked about his impact just, you know, in his second act and some of the things that he wanted to do and some of the initiatives he wanted to attack. So tune in to the Tough Juice podcast on the Himalaya app, wherever you listen to your pods. My first thing for you is just on a, on a heavier is just like, how have you been dealing with everything that's happening around us, you know, the optics of the world and the state where we're at right now? Yeah, it came at us in waves, right? So at first it was the pandemic, and we have younger kids, and if you if you uh, hear them, I apologize in advance because they're, they're at home with all this energy now, but, um, you know, so that wave was like getting dialed in with remote schooling and everything like that, and my wife kind of really dialed that in. The first week, we kind of like, whoa, this is shocking, but we kind of got a routine, and then after that, obviously, uh, dealing with everything we're, we're going with in, in the country, it's just amazing. It broke my heart to see like a modern day lynching. You know what I mean? That's what we watched. We watched a modern day lynching. And to see it resonate uh, the way it has all over the world was encouraging and inspiring. Because, you know, we've seen protests before and they kind of went that day and, we, you know, we kind of protested and wanted to be heard. But I've never seen this kind of energy. So instead of kind of a moment, it feels like a movement. You know, this feels like something that's sustainable and it feels like something that we're not going to let go. And, you know, it just broke my heart to watch uh, Mr. Floyd beg for his life. You know what I mean? Like just literally beg for his life and to see the officer, uh, the, the look he had on his face. Because he, he, number one, he knew who George Floyd was because they had worked together previously. Number two, he had to know he was killing him. And number three, he smiled about the whole time. You know, so casually just killed him. And I think, you know, for us, we feel like in some ways the system has had its foot on our necks for a long time. So it just really resonated with us. Yeah, so, and I'm glad you said that because people said, you know, it's typical that, you know, you have a tragedy and then we see the protests and then all of a sudden, you know, it kind of phases out. But I said the same thing. I said, this is the first time in my lifetime. I talked mm-hmm. to my grandparents and I know you're old soul as well. And you, you know, you do your due diligence um, that. I've seen 50 states march yeah. in protests. I've seen not only us, but like young people on the front line. And then this was the crazy thing that caught me. I saw white people. I saw white, white people were engaged, bro. And like even 18, 18 plus countries. I was like, yo, this is a different vibe. It's totally different. And like you said, going back to the younger generation, this younger generation is fearless. Yeah. Remember when we were growing up, like in a different, like when we we would fight, we'd box it out and that'd be that. This younger generation ain't going for that. Like this younger generation is going, you know, all out. And it's a different energy. And as long as they use that spirit in the right direction, which we're doing now, 
it's encouraging. And then, like you said, to see our white brothers and sisters marching with us. And I think that's powerful. It's almost like if an NBA coach, right, let's say Nate McMillan or Doc Rivers, or, you know, one of those coaches say something, then you hear Popovich say It's like, oh, it kind of resonates differently from the standpoint, not that it means any more than what Doc said. It's just the fact that he's a white American. So he's like, man, I'm speaking from a privileged standpoint. Like, we got to get our stuff together. You know what I mean? And it, you hear it a little bit differently. So seeing it's, it's more of a, instead of a black, white, it's almost an like everybody versus racism or yeah. a human. It's a human thing. You know what I mean? Like, just having human compassion for the next person, no matter what color they are. And so it, it was inc- encouraging and important for them to, to stand with us. So, like, when uh, I know you was part of that team uh, with the Clippers, mm-hmm. that the Sterling situation happened mm-hmm. and all that. And, you guys took a position where you almost, you know, I think it's the blackout special is out now, right? Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, so you guys took a stance where it was like, I think y'all even questioned playing. Like, you guys wasn't going to possibly play. But what would your position be with some of the young guys right now? Like, going going to the bubble, one, uh, which I think you should be on the roster. And then, two... Uh, what would your position be? And would you play, would you participate, or would you stay and be socially active, you know, in the physical? So so going back to the first part of it, the, uh, the Sterling situation, not only were we not going to play Golden State, because Jermaine O'Neal was like their, you know, vet leader at the time. He had them on board where they weren't going to play if we weren't. So we were kind of dealing with, uh, you know, that situation Right there, there was no playbook for it. We were going to attack it. And they were on board with us. So if we said we weren't playing, there wouldn't have been a playoff. Like, it was over. Yeah, it was over with. So, you know, we all got together. And the one thing, uh, one of the things Doc did, I got to give him credit for it, was he was like, you know what? As long as you guys are all on the same page, I don't care what we do. I'm going to support you regardless, right? So once we all, I mean, it was that, that room was raw. There was so many emotions. So many people saying, like, we can't do this. And then some people saying, no, we weren't playing for him anyway. You know what I mean? So we kind of went through that whole thing and worked through that. And then at the end of it, we said, Doc's going to be our boys. Obviously, when the, you know it is uh, tough juice to be in to be in the playoff setting. You got to be locked all the way in. So yeah. we said, we're going to lock in on that and let Doc kind of handle it. And he really protected us in that sense. And then fast forward, if I was going to the bubble, uh, my thing would be, because I see, you know, certain players saying they don't want to go and certain players saying they do want to go and still fight for, for what's right. I would, I would not go if we all decide not to go. But my thing would be, what are we fighting for? What are we trying to get out of it? Like, are we saying we're not coming unless the NBA and its partners donate a billion dollars to communities, uh, you know, all across the country, black communities, African-American communities, inner city communities around the country? I have no problem not doing that. But just tell me what we're fighting for because I just don't want to sit out just to sit out. Like, because a lot of guys make money. And as you know, we do a lot in our communities. Honestly, that comes from the money we make to be able to have an impact on our communities. So I would I would wholeheartedly be with the majority because I understand both sides. But if we're going to sit out, I just want to know what we're fighting for. Right. And if we're fighting to empower, to get more uh, black GMs, to get more black coaches, to get more blacks in ownership, to, to change the system that way. So I just want to know what we're fighting for. And then I'd be all in anywhere. Man, I totally agree, bro. I think we need more minority inclusion. And I think it's been the case for quite so long, when you look at the wealth gap and what we're struggling with, like that's something that needs to be talked about uh, foremost. Um, when I think about some of the teams that's going to the bubble and that's going to participate, and I think of 
I look at the rosters and they're all like kind of depleted uh, from a depth standpoint. Is it any particular team that you feel like, you know what, I would just love to be right there because I know I can help? Yeah, I would say a, a team contending. You know what I mean? You have maybe four or five of those contending teams, the Lakers, the Clippers, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, uh, uh, Toronto, Miami. I would say one of those teams, the contending teams, but then you have sleepers as well. You know, Portland can get go there and get hot. You know what I mean? You have different teams. And in the situation I'm in, I can't be choosy. You know what I mean? I would just kind of have to listen to what was out there. Uh, but yeah, I would, you know, I think the contending team at this point in my career, I think I would have more value on the, on the playing side of it or whatever side they see fit for me, but that side of it more so than the younger team. A younger team would be more so uh, the vet wisdom and, and leadership, how to be a professional, how to kind of help set the foundation for a young player's career, you know, going forward. And that's important as well. But for me, playing-wise, from a competitive standpoint, I would say one of those competitive teams. So it's crazy when guys always resort back to the analytics of the game. And yeah. if I'm mistaken, the last time you stepped out on the basketball court, you had, what, 50 points? 51, yeah. 51, yeah. So that's, that's one is crazy to me that you wasn't on the roster to begin with. And two, when I look at Vince Carter in the pandemic hit and he had to, you know, retire and I felt like he didn't get the farewell that he deserved, even Absolutely. though a lot of people was able to just like tag it on social media and show like right. appreciate right. the game. For you, your send off, what what would a perfect send off for you be? You know what? I don't think I would be because, you know, me, I'm kind of low key anyway, so I don't think I would have done the farewell tour. Uh-huh. If it would have been my last game, I would have known. I still wouldn't have told nobody. But the next day, I would, you know, just type something up or drop something that way. After it was all over with, you know what I mean? And they can kind of show their appreciation that way. But like you said, besides the 51-point game, Tough Juice, I averaged 31 for the month of April, right? And, and <laughs> that was my highest score month of my career. So me, personally, I'm not thinking, like, you know, it's time to go. I'm showing, like, no, I can still go. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have some 31 off the bench for the month. And more importantly, we won half the games that month. And we didn't win a lot last year. So to me, that was like gratifying, you know. So I, I thought, you know, I was showing that, you know, I, I handled the bet side. I got my first DMP this year, that or that past season. And after the game, I didn't soak about it. I went and worked out. And I wanted to see young guys see me work out, even after a DMP. You know what I mean? Just to show, like, hey. It's, it's not personal and things may always go in your favor, but you still work at your craft, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know it would be a send off. And if it goes, happens to go out that way, I mean, only Kobe, I guess, has scored more. And he planned on going out, right? But only Kobe has scored more in the last game. So I looked at it, you know, I have moments where I'm like, man, why? Why is this happening? And I have other more moments where I'm like, man, I'm really enjoying my family, enjoying this time as well. Man, I, even, even setting up this interview and, my appreciation, we was communicating via text. And, mm-hmm. and I know we connected uh, to, to, like, heavily to a fault almost because the same things that you value from a family standpoint is the same way I am. I'm like, oh, that's my daughter nap time. But this yeah. is my ride yeah. out skateboard time. So it's a process now. Hey, and it's, it's, it's something because I, I promise both of us, we've never been high in maintenance. And I don't want to even come across like, no, nah, I can't do it this time. It's really... Like, I'm really on their schedule. You know what I mean? Like, I'm really on their schedule. So whenever they're doing something, I got to be there with them. If they take a nap, I can do it. That's my window. You know what yep. I mean? So everything's on their schedule, but it's fun that way. It's, it's a win-win situation. It's a blessing. It's truly – my son caught his first fish. I tweeted about that the other day. 
Oh, and he had went out there three days before. The first day, uh, one kind of swam around. On the second day, a couple of them kind of came up to him. The third day, he caught it. And he plays basketball. Now, you would have thought he hit a game with a shot. And I was there for that moment. You know what I mean? Those are little things like that that you are wins. And I, and I don't take for granted. Man, you brought up, you know, our brother, uh, late great Kobe Bryant. You know, guy yeah. So um, when you talk about, you know, people that raise the bar in their second acts, uh-huh. and, you know, just attacking it and just accomplishing so much, you know, right out the gate. When you think about your second act, you know, what are some of the things you want to dive into in some of the space? I would love to be around the game. I actually uh, just invested, I don't know if you heard of it, it's called Shoot 360. Yeah, and it's a training method, and it's a facility where it's a training method, but they incorporate tech. Obviously, the game is going towards analytics and things like that, but it's more so uh, for you can be a beginner, you can be a pro. You're welcome to the facility. You're kind of going at your own pace so you don't feel out of place. Uh, there's somebody on screen talking to you, doing the drills, you're having fun. Obviously, kids right now love to play video games, right? But So you're doing a ball handling drill, and you're passing on screen trying to hit a bug. There's a bug on the line. But really, you're working on the accuracy of your pass and not even thinking about it. It's like, now I'm having fun. So you're getting better while having fun. And it's it's just amazing. We actually just put one up in the, in the Gold State Warriors practice facility as well. And uh, we have some pretty good guys that I think are going to come on board as well. I just talked to them. DeVoe too early. I don't want to jinx his fingers crossed. But, so it's, it's like a way to be around the game. It's another tool of training. I train my son all the time, both of them. And we went there one time before I invested. And he was like, man, I would come here two, three times a day. Like, he didn't even understand just the fact that he was getting better. He was like, it's fun in me. It's a basketball hate for kids. So I'm in that space. I definitely want to be around the game, uh, either on the GM side, front office side, or the commentating side. So no matter what it is, I'll be around the game. But I'll have more time as well to work on my foundation and do things I do in the community. So um, I'm really excited about whenever that chapter is here or, you know, in the near future about that as well. Man, I'm telling you, bro, you've been doing some amazing things in the community. And uh, first, I want to ask you, like, who was, like, that guy for you, like, in the area? Well, see, the the guy who kind of showed me it was possible to make it, and then when you make it, you don't have to treat people a certain way, was Doug Christie. Okay. You know, he was, like, an unbelievable pro, 16 years old. He gave me the confidence uh, you know, that I can make it. Because I'm 16 years old and I got game, but I don't know if that's really going to work and it counts. You know what I mean? So I started working out with him. And it was funny, I didn't even ask Doug for his phone number. He would just tell me, I'll be at the gym at 7.30. I'd be out there at 7 p.m. waiting for him, right? And I, I would sometimes I'd catch a bus. Sometimes I'd drive a car uh, legally while I have the license or no plates on him. You have a three-day tag. You know, you know three-day trip slip where it already expired. I was going to get to him. He saw how serious I was about teaching me how to fish. I don't want the fish. Teach me. I don't want your fish. Teach me how I can get my own. And he showed me that. And I just saw how he carried himself. But I honestly believe, uh, you know, tough juice, once you come into a lot of money or a lot of fame, you become a bigger version of what you already were. So if you were somebody who treated people bad, now you got more money and more of a stature, you're going to treat them, you're going to really flex on them. You're going to really treat them worse, right? But if you were somebody who was a giver and was nice and treat people with respect, now you got more to kind of help out with. So I think the latter approach, and I've always kind of been like that, I think it's just now for heightened. I'm on this platform. Man, and that's definitely what you're doing, man. You mentor so many, even like your open runs. Like, I watch some of the footage, like, even to this day. Like, because I'm a hoop head and I like this. Yeah, yes, you are. I just want to watch basketball sometimes. So I go watch old footage. I see you, you know, zigzagging and dancing on folks. And, you know, just your big brother approach to the game from Isaiah Thomas, Markel, folks, all these brothers, like, they look up 
to you in just an amazing way, man. Can you just talk about, like, how does that make you feel as, you know, a big brother and mentor to so many? It's amazing because I know what it did for me. When Doug Christie and Gary Payton did it for me, it changed my whole life, you know. And in turn, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this for everybody that comes underneath me, from Brandon Roy to Nate Robinson, Terrence Williams, Isaiah Thomas, to Will Conroy, to A.B. Bradley, to Stucky, to all these guys. It's just amazing, exactly, to watch the growth, right? And then to see them reach back and do it for the next generation. And that's how you keep it going. You know, seeing, I heard DeJounte Murray, you know, he kind of said, I changed his life. He did an interview the other day. And hearing that, because I know what he went through personally, like really being on the front line, street stuff, really having to navigate through that to, you know, say, okay, you know, you got me have friends over here saying, man, we can get this fast money. And him saying, no, I can't get this money now, but if I stay on this way, I can, maybe I'll have an opportunity to help my family another way. And that takes a lot of strength and courage as well as a, as a 15-year-old kid. You know what I mean? You had that. All the stuff you've been through. And I see what you're doing, and I see you going to, to the prisons and hearing them rapping. Man, that gives hope. That's inspiration. And I used to think making it to the NBA was the coolest thing in the world. And then when I got here, I said, you know what? Helping that person behind me, the younger generation reach their goals and come close to it is absolutely the best thing about being in the NBA. So, bro, I, I love it. I love to share this platform when real ones come on because that's all we do. <laughs> that's and all we do. Authentic brothers, man, and you definitely that sharp. So when you think about the culture of basketball in Seattle, yeah. what mm-hmm. makes the culture in Seattle, uh, you know, so unique? Like when you think of New York, when you think of Chicago. Yeah. It, like even the DMV, I saw KD did that special out there, and that was crazy. Like what's in the water in Seattle that makes you guys so unique? You know what's crazy, Tough Juice, is that when I was coming up, you got more scholarships going to college than football. So in basketball, if you had a team like North Carolina or Michigan or Duke or UConn recruiting you, that was like going to the NBA. Like the culture just changed the last 20 years. So we saw the James Edwards, the Clint Richardson, the Doug Christie's, but they were waiting for our time. Doug was still going, and then Jason Terry went. So we're like, hold on, we know that brother. Like we know him. We know we can reach out and touch him. So then when he went, then I came the next year. So then after I went, now the AAU scene kind of jumped out there and it, and it really just busted the door open. Now you got Brandon Roy, Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson, DeJounte Murray, Zach Levine, Spencer Hall, Martel Webster, all these dudes coming through. And now, hey, I forgot to let that in. And now the kids are like, oh, we, we play with these dudes in the summer and we got some success against them. We can make it too. So now that's how the culture builds. And all those guys I see it. If Nate Robinson's having a bowling tournament or Aaron Brooks is having a bowling tournament, he knows all 15 of us in the league are going to go there and support him. If I'm having a pro-am, I know all of them are going to play. If, if Isaiah Thomas is having a Zeke in weekend where it's a, a, a kind of open gym run, we're all going to be there. And so that's the culture. And we all know all the, all the kids in our community from fifth grade on can get a hold of any one of us like that. And that's special, yeah. right? So we can do that and get a hold of us and, and – and, Lean on us for different things and advice. I mean, that's what kind of builds the culture. Man, when you talk about leaning on individuals for that 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 advice, one thing that immediately sticks out to me about you is one, your longevity and how you're able to still like your game haven't changed. Like obviously you got sharper and you know you mm-hmm. redefine some things, but you still can play the same game that you played when you came in. Like, like, how, what, like, how did you manage to continue to do that? Being in love with the game. Yeah. Touches. I used to be a kid 
I was the kid in uh, fifth grade, sixth grade. And I said, man, you know what? I, I didn't have money, but I said, I will pay the NBA to let me play the NBA. Like, I don't take this for granted. You know what I mean? I remember sneaking up and sneaking in different NBA games and meeting guys, meeting certain guys. Some were nice, some weren't. And I said, if I'm ever in that position, I'm never going to turn a kid down for an autograph. Because, you know, as pros, we're going, we're doing it here, we're there. And it's just that one moment. For that kid, it lasts a lifetime. Like, I still remember to this day, a guy, I'm not going to say his name, who turned me down for autograph and made me feel that big. And I was like, man, if I'm ever in that position, I'll never do that. So I, I just don't take any of it for granted. I've been in love with the game. I can tell you about every player. I've been watching you so long. I can tell you about every player and everybody who has come through, and I'm, I'm, I'm a student of the game. And so I just don't take it for granted. So I, I, I stay in love with the game. When I say that, I say this. I foam roll. I cold tub. I lift. I'm doing my abs. I'm, I'm eating right. I'm doing this every single day, not just in season, in the summer as well. So for me, it's no change. When I go back to playing, it's like, oh, I play just like I did in the pro end. There's not a move I've ever done in pro I haven't done in the NBA because I've already mastered kind of my flow. I've already mastered. There's no shot to the body when I go back to playing 505. I've never stopped. So everything just stays sharp. Yeah. And, and speaking of staying sharp, so the last dance just dropped, right? Oh, Everybody's getting the behind the curtain peek at yeah. how he was. <laughs> One thing that stuck out to me and a lot of kids, and I want to get your evaluation on this, but a lot of kids don't realize that I never seen Michael Jordan like complain or make excuses. Like even when he was in high school, his mom never said, you know, because he got cut, he felt this way. Now, fast forward to you. I remember at a point where you wasn't starting, but mm-hmm. you became, in my eyes and a lot of other people, the best six man ever to play the game of basketball. So, like, what's your thoughts on just how to pivot and make the best out of the next situation or be a better version of yourself and go about that process? The the bumps in the road never stop, right? So no matter what street you go down, there's going to be a bump, maybe a big bump, maybe a small bump. So going back to MJ, his mom said something that was so profound. And, and that was an underrated part of the doc to me, how he was raised, his respect, right? His mom still was calling his, his father, Mr. Jordan, even in the doc. So one, one time he, when he got cut, his mom said, okay, we'll work harder. She didn't coddle him. She didn't say we're going to a different school. She didn't say, you know what I mean? She's like, okay, work harder, right? And, and remember his dad said, if you want to tell Michael he can't do something, that's how you get him going. So he, already, he, was, he was wired like that from a young age, right? And, and, and seeing him, even Jerry Krause, because, I, I, you know, he drafted me. And they had their odds. But Jerry Krause said, even with our odds, Michael never came to me and said, I need this player. Do this. He never said that. He said, okay, that's what you give me. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And so, you know, getting the chance to actually know MJ uh, in Chicago and spend time around him, it was gratifying to watch that because I'm like, this is the dude I know. This is that guy. You can see over my shoulder there's a picture of me and him on the court. Like, this is the dude who I, I learned to, you know, see behind the curtain. And then for me, that's what I'm most proud about in my career. I played for 19 different coaches. I played 19 seasons. Right. So imagine you as a freshman, if you stay four years in high school, a freshman year, you have a lot of success. Right. That's your coach. He gets fired. Now you're a sophomore. This coach said, now, nah, you know what? You got to come off the bench now. We need you as a six man. Then your junior year, another coach comes and say, you know what? We don't need you to score as much. You got to become a, a leader for it. So you're senior, you're like, we can't think about these next moves. And you found a way to adjust every single year and still be you and, and still have an effect. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of. I'm, I just take it as a challenge. Oh, you say, I can't do that. I'm going to go do that. I'm trying to master it. I'm trying to be the best at it. I had never come off the bench before in my life, right? Until I got to a point of being known as a good player on bad teams. 
So I said, you know what? I'm going to come off the bench then. No problem. I come off the bench. My first year I ever did it, sixth man of the year, average 18 points. I think we broke a record or close to a record for Hawks victory. So I was like, I'm going to do this now. And I used to have to, I had to trick my mind. So at first I was like, man, am I not as good? Right? It went from that point to me saying, you know what? It's just Superman coming in and saving the day. So I had to trick my mind mentally to, to, to embrace that and, and get outside of myself and not have an ego. Have competitiveness, so I'm going to still be effective, but not have an ego where I'm not willing to adjust. And I think that's part of longevity as well. Man, you definitely always adjusted. And I, you, you touched on something, and I had to go back to it when you said being a student of the game. And I'll never forget, we're in planes, right? We're chilling. And uh, Grand Hill. One of, one of my all-time favorite players. One of the best players ever. Yeah, bro. So, like, I remember, like, you pulling up footage, you bringing it up, you got the top. you like, man, look look at this. Look at look at these highlights. And like, bro, you was always watching film. And most importantly, like, your energy was just always magnetic. You know what I mean? Uh, like, you saw things on the court that other people didn't see. And, and, and the fact that Grant Hill, like, I remember Grant Hill drink, drink Sprite commercial, right? Like, Tupac has some Grant Hills on. The fact that Grant Hill knows me and your name from where we came from to, like, come on, man, this is a dream. This is, this is a dream. Right? The fact that I can sit next to Grant Hill on a plane and pick his brain and, and watch film with him. I was showing Grant stuff of himself that he hadn't seen in years. Like, man. I mean, like, so just like, it's, it's a dream I don't take for granted. And I've always appreciated people who who done it before, what makes where they did, just people who's been through where I want to go. And I've just always, you know, picked their brains. And you can learn something from anybody. You really can. You can learn something from somebody on the street who doesn't have a place to live. Like, I talk to people like that all the time. Like, and I'll give them something just for helping my brain, give me some game, right? So, like, I just, I never stopped learning. The next year, I sat next to Paul Pierce all the time. I wanted to pick his brain. You know what I mean? So, like, I always kept somebody older next to me just so I can really learn it and still be a student of it and not be like, oh, you know, it's my time. Show me what I'm doing right. Show me what I'm doing wrong. And I can help the next person. So even to this day, right, I want to go through your routine. So, like, right now, to keep yourself pre- prepared and if somebody call, he ready. Like, right. what's through your day? Like, what's what you doing? On the day? So, so I'm going to give you the pandemic. Before then, I was actually able to still play five on five. You know what I mean? Since then, with social distancing, I had to kind of rearrange. So I'll get up now. I'm talking about now. I'll get up 7 a.m. You know, before I even eat breakfast, I'm in the way. I got a weight room in my house. I'm in the weight room. 7.30, I'm doing my whole routine. It takes about an hour and a half. I'm doing Versa Climber. Uh, I'm doing sled pushes. I'm running the hills. I'm doing abs. I'm doing stuff for my legs to strengthen my legs, make sure they're strong. We have a half court outside, which we turn into, like, everything. We brought a sport court in so I can really get the training in. So I'm doing all that stuff. Uh, by the time the kids get up, you know, now they're in the summer, they get up at 9, 9.30 before breakfast. I'm done. They don't even know I went in there and did that. You know, my older son, he sticks down with me, so he sees it. But I'm, I'm doing that early. And then uh, after breakfast, uh, I'll work my, my older son. I a, he's in college. You ever see a man in Chai's? He plays there. He's there here for the summer. And my younger son is 10. He's really good, actually. And uh, So I worked him out after that. And then uh, spend time with my girls. You know, we may go outside on the trampoline. We may go whatever they want to do. After that, uh, you know, get lunch for everybody. Maybe need to make a couple calls. I come back at it uh, probably about 7 o'clock when things kind of slow down, wind down, get my shots up, do my game routine that I was doing. 
I play one on one on none to a hundred by myself. Oh, so every time to a hundred, twos and threes. So I'm, and I'm going game speed. Well, I mean game speed, right? I'm like, pull, pull it. If I make it, I get three. If I miss it, the defense gets three. First one to a hundred. But I'm not just doing stuff to like. So now I'm kind of. It's me. It was me and Nesso. It was just me and Nesso playing one on one. It's quite older son. Okay? Now I'm beating up on him, but yeah. So I just, I just stay at it, man. Stay at it. So I, I will have to say, bro, that is crazy. That that true competitor that loves the game and that's a student in the game, and now a student become a teacher, and that's usually how it go. So to all the grasshoppers out there, like, what will be your like wealth of knowledge or some of the biggest takeaways that you got from the game that you would love to share to the viewers and listeners? My 21 year old, right? Staying in love with the game. I think that's so important. I think people now, um, in some ways, kind of, and it happened a little bit in our generation, but I think I see a little bit more now. They love what comes with, you know, making it instead of loving the process, loving the journey of it, loving the being a true student of your craft, right? So I think that's number one, staying in love with the game. Because if you're in love with it, you won't get sidetracked, you won't get distracted. It will it'll eliminate, it'll cut off the fat in a lot of ways. A lot of things you don't need to do at the at this moment or have time for and should be doing. If you stay in love with the game, that kind of guides you in the right direction. Being a good listener. You know what I mean? You have to be a good listener. You have to be open to advice. I don't even want to say criticism. I don't want to say advice because I think it's something that can help a person. Uh, that is, is so important. Yeah, I heard, I think KG said, you have two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you talk. Right? So you can be a true student. Um, being a professional, even now, like, if, if me and my son are working out at 12 o'clock, he knows he needs to be on the court at 1130 because it becomes habit, right? When you go to practice, when you go to, uh, you know, wherever you're going, whatever level you're at, whether it be kids level, middle school, high school, college, league, whatever time they say there, be early. Don't be, you know, being on time is being late to me. Be there early. Um, just some taking care of yourself. Take care of your body. Don't beat up your body. You know, you only get one of them. And, you know, if you want to do this for a long time, you got to take care of yourself always being in shape. There's so many different things and, and you know, uh, things I try to impart on the young guys, especially like last year in Phoenix, we were one of the youngest teams in the league. Just so many different lessons, you know what I mean, that you kind of go with. And, and I always tell them, nobody, nobody likes a know-it-all. Somebody who knows all the answers to everything. You can't tell them that. Like, how can I help you if you got all the answers, right? So not, not being a know-it-all. Yes, sir, no, sir. Always treating people with respect and character. And I, I said this on uh, Twitter for Father's Day, because my dad taught me how to play basketball. He played at Oregon with Kevin Love's there. I said, I'm thankful you taught me to be a good basketball player. I'm more thankful you taught me about humility and character. And I think that trumps everything else. Like, don't treat somebody good because you think they can help you. Or you're trying, you know what I mean? Like, don't treat somebody bad because you think they're below you. Like, no, one human life is just as important as the next. And, and people are people, and you treat everybody with respect and humility and have character. And that's why you, my grandma's favorite, to this day. She always, <laughs> he was with the Clippers. He came out. He took his time, took pictures. He signed. And even when I was trying to pull you away after the game, you were still like, no, see me, I'm good. Like, yeah. You know how that environment gets family, everybody. Won't no, you. you're right. You were so right. respectful. Yeah. And you know what? To be honest with you, like yourself, um, Gary Payton, so many people have spoken on my behalf about me playing. I think personally is it's not just uh, the the basketball you guys are saying I should be playing because I think it's the character you guys see and know. And I think that's why you guys have no problem going to bat for me. 
And I thank you guys because that speaks volume about how you feel about me forgetting all the court, but more so off the court. Well, you're my brother for life, man. And, my, you know, yeah. last two questions for me. This, uh, I hate to put you on the spot, but I got to. <laughs> you brought up the 19 coaches. So here, you got to run them off, man, if you can. Oh, you want to hear? Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let me get focused. Let me get focused first. All right. I'm ready. All right. We got Bill Cartwright. We got Bill Berry. We got Pete Myers. We have uh, Scott Skiles. We have Tim Floyd because he's before Bill Cartwright. That's five, right? Yep. Okay. Then I had uh, Lenny Wilkins, Herb Williams, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Brown, Mike D'Antoni. That's 10. Yep. Okay, where we go after that? We went to Golden State, Don Nelson, 11. Atlanta, we had Mike Whitson and Larry Drew. That's 12, 13. Then we went to Portland. We had uh, Nate McMillan and Caleb Canales. That's 15. We went to the Clippers. We had Vinny and Doc. Yep, two both. Okay, then we went to Minnesota. We had Thibodeau. And then we went to Phoenix and had Igor. 19. (laughs) Hey, boy, you got a memory on you. Hey, hey, that's, that's clean living, man. You got to keep a fresh mind. <laughs> that's crazy. Hey, last one for you, man. Just ultimately, when you look at your legacy, and I think you touched on it already, but I just want to hear it in your words. What would you ultimately want to be remembered as? You know what? If And I, it's so cliche because we hear it sometimes. But if I truly lived that and if I was a, a good basketball player but a better person and I know my style of play, funny story, when I was a kid, I used to think, I used to ask people, I want to be an NBA so bad, right? So I'm like, man, who do I play like? Who do I play like? And they're like, well, you got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but you don't really play like nobody. And as a younger player who loved the game and studied the game, that was devastating. I'm like, man, well, how am I going to make it to the highest level if I don't play like nobody there? Fast forward now, I still don't play like nobody, and I kind of carved out my own niche, and I'm thankful for it. And within that, if I inspired even one person out there who I may have never met to kind of like, man, I'm going to make it because this guy get, did it because the stuff he went through or style of play, if I inspired even one person out there, then this journey was worth it. Bro, and I definitely would tell you this, you know, watching you, knowing you, you inspire more than one person, brother. You inspire millions. And not just from a basketball standpoint, I think that you touched on it uh, profoundly well, that basketball was the care that draw pe- that drew people in. But most importantly, they saw you as a human being and what you do. Bro, you got a lifelong brother right here. And when you say something, that's like that's like the gavel when the judge speaks. That's tough to you. Man. That's that's tough to We're all this here. <laughs> and you talked about it a million times, man. You're as good as your peers think you are. You've always had your, your respect level from people. I'm telling you from your peers, it's like out of this world. Like you are the man. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Like Thanks for making time, man. Stay safe out there. You know it. Thank you. All right, brother. All right.